welcome to the preaching ministry of the Agape Baptist Church in George, South Africa. Good morning, friends. Let us bow our heads in prayer, then we could pray together. Onze Vader, wat in die jimmele is, Vader, u beloof en sê dat in, in die woord verklaar u, die Heere is nabij almal wat om aanroep, almal wat om aanroep in waarheid. Ons kom dus na u met geboe harte, skaam oor ons sonde en hardkoppige dwalinge, vergewe asjeblief. Vergewe op grond van die Heere Jezus' sterwe aan die kruis, ons aanvaar en erken dat die bloed van Jezus Christus u seun, ons reinig van alle sonde. Father, we confess that we are mostly concerned with maintaining our existence and care more for things such as food, our bank balances, our health, and the pains we struggle with. Please raise our minds above them to the blessed and heavenly life which you have promised to your children in the, and in the words of Patsy Klein's song, I would pray, I am weak, but thou art strong. Jesus, keep me from all wrong. I'll be satisfied as long as I walk. Let me walk close to thee. Just a closer walk with thee. Grant thee, Jesus, is my plea. Daily walking close to thee, let it be, dear Lord, let it be. Onze Vader, ons word herinner aan die beloftes en die woord, wat telkens vir ons uitdaag. Ons ontdek die beloftes soos bid en vir julle sal gegee word. Soek en julle sal vind. Klop en vir julle sal oopgemaak word. Want elkeen wat bid ontvang en hy wat soek vind en vir hom wat klop sal oopgemaak word. Op grond van hierdie beloftes kan ons daarom vrijmoedigheid neem om die gebedslijst wat vir ons aangestuur word op een wekelijkse basis voor u te leen. Dankie vir gebede wat verhoor is, persone wat beterskap rapporteer en ander wat gezond geword het. Dankie dat Tony en Mariet veilig terug is van hulle vakantie. Dankie dat u vir Brian en Sharon veilig kon help in hulle reis na Kaapstad en terug. Ons bly in gebed vir persone met gezondheidsprobleme. Ons dink aan Christine, Herman en Kitty Piek. Ons dink ook aan Irene. Ons wacht saam met Sharon vir die uitslaaf van toetsen en vraag dat die, die dokters sal help om wees op te tree en diagnosis te maak wat tot haar voordeel sal strek. Ons vertrou ook hulle wat uh, economisch is in een strijd gewikkel is aan die zorg. Gee asjeblief wijsheid en inzicht oor besigheidsbesluite en voorzien asjeblief versgeleedhede waar nodig. We remember to pray for those churches and pastors we support through our church family. Please give wise insight in countering the effects of COVID restrictions 
and add to their membership those that is saved. Father, we also bring Pastor Brian before you. Please give him insight and wisdom when he is confronted with difficult decisions. Please help him in his teaching and preaching ministry. Yes, that when he stands before the church, he would minister to us in the way you would like him to do. This we ask and pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Good morning, church. I'm truly excited to be with you this morning. If you would, please turn in your Bibles to James chapter 2. James chapter 2. Today we will continue our study through the book of James. As a brief review, we saw in chapter 1, verses 1 through 18, that James flips the world upside down, calling the family of God to have joy in trials because trials have a purpose. They are refining and maturing our faith. Then in verses 19 through 27, we saw that if Christ has redeemed us, then we have, sorry, then we are to receive the word with meekness and then go out and be doers of the word and not hearers only. In the final verses of chapter 1, James speaks a warning about the deceptiveness of our own hearts. He warns against the practice of affirming theological truth, but then failing to apply that truth in our everyday lives. It is with this warning in mind that we jump into chapter 2, verses 1 through 13, with a call to fulfill the royal law. As we go to the Lord In prayer, I ask that each one of us pause and examine our own hearts before the Lord, asking Him to change us. We need the Spirit of God to poke us in the idols of our hearts as we encounter these words from God. Let's pray together. Father, I thank you so much that we have the privilege to gather together this morning to sing together to lift our voices and praise together as the family of God. I thank you for your word. I thank you that I do not have to overstate it or understate it, but that it is complete in and of itself. Lord, I pray that you would help me to be faithful as I deliver it this morning and that our church would be faithful to receive with meekness, with humility, and then to go out and to live these words. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. Two weeks ago, my family and I added a Rhodesian Ridgeback puppy to our family. Here's a picture of her. I knew everyone would like to see it. We've been enjoying her a lot, but I have noticed some interesting developments ever since bringing her home. One of the most noticeable changes occur when I pick up my oldest daughter from school. She will remain nameless. She really enjoys her school, her time with her friends and her teacher, and it is difficult for her sometimes when I show up to take her home because she knows it's going to be her nap time or her quiet time. On a good day, the response I get is, Hi, Dad. But whenever I show up with a puppy under my arm, the response I get is quite different. All of a sudden, my daughter is so happy to see me. And not just her, there's other random children from her school that I don't know that are ecstatic upon my arrival. 
This reality among children is often a reality among adults as well. A changed reception based on the possessions I am holding. This is why James begins chapter 2 with a call to show no partiality. Let's begin with verses 1 through 7. My brothers, show no partiality as you hold the faith in our Lord Jesus Christ, the Lord of glory. For if a man wearing a gold ring and fine clothing comes into your assembly, and a poor man in shabby clothing also comes in, and if you pay attention to the one who wears the fine clothing and say, you sit here in a good place, while you say to the poor man, you stand over there, or sit down at my feet, have you not then made distinctions among yourselves and become judges with evil thoughts. Listen, my beloved brothers, has not God chosen those who are poor in the world to be rich in faith and heirs of the kingdom, which he has promised to those who love him? But you have dishonored the poor man. Are not the rich the ones who oppress you and the ones who drag you into court? Are they not the ones who blaspheme the honorable name by which you were called? Verse 1 is jammed full of truth as James sets the stage for his complaint against many of his readers. First, James calls them my brothers. He does this often in his letter, but each time it should remind us that we are the family of God. The redeemed of God are not a collection of people who chose one another. Instead, we are brothers and sisters chosen by God. He is the one who is putting this family together. Next, he says, show no partiality as you hold the faith in our Lord Jesus Christ, the Lord of glory. This word partiality in the text is the idea of receiving the face or to judge according to the face. Partiality is thinking and acting based on someone's outward appearance. When the prophet Samuel was sent to Bethlehem by God to anoint a new king over Israel, he was impressed by the physical presence of Jesse's oldest son, Eliab. And Samuel thought to himself, surely the Lord's anointed is before me. But the Lord said to Samuel, do not look on his appearance or on the height of his stature, because I have rejected him. For the Lord sees not as man sees. Man looks on the outward appearance, but the Lord looks on the heart. In Samuel's defense, Eliab was the natural choice. It is in our nature to honor those who are powerful, beautiful, or wealthy. But James is saying that you cannot hold the faith of the Lord Jesus Christ in one hand and in the other hand cling to partiality, thinking and acting based on someone's outward appearance. In verses 2 through 4, James gives a situation that pinpoints our most natural response of partiality, even in the church. Verse 2, if, For if a man wearing a gold ring and fine clothing comes into your assembly, and a poor man in shabby clothing also comes in, and if you pay attention to the one who wears the fine clothing and say, You sit here in a good place, while you say to the poor man, You stand over there, or sit down at my feet, have you not then made distinctions among yourselves and become judges with evil thoughts? 
is very difficult for us for us to read ourselves into this illustration. My first impulse is to remove myself from the scenario and to sit in judgment back here over these foolish believers. How could you be so carnal? How could you not show compassion? But if we stop and examine ourselves honestly before God, we will see that this type of thinking and acting is constantly seeking a foothold in our lives. James focuses specifically on clothing and wealth in his illustration, but his rebuke of partiality is applicable to every way that the world divides up humanity based on outward appearance. Race, ethnicity, wealth, gender, age, power, beauty, success, health, intellect, or your language. The list could go on. It's all around us, and it's ingrained in us because of our fallen nature. This is one of the ways that our flesh is at war with the Spirit of God within us. In verse 4, we see that if we honor those whom the world honors and despise those whom the world despises, then we have made distinctions or divisions among ourselves and become judges with evil thoughts. James makes several references back to Leviticus chapter 19 in his letter, and this is one of them. Leviticus 19.15 says, You shall do no injustice in court. You shall not be partial to the poor or defer to the great, but in righteousness shall you judge your neighbor. Do you see the connection? James is saying that if you think and act towards others based on anything other than than the righteous standard of God, then you are thinking and acting like a corrupt judge, polluting the church with injustice, setting free worldly values while casting out those for whom Christ died. You may ask, what is the righteous standard of God? What has God said about the poor? How does he think and act towards those labeled insignificant by the world? James answers that question in verse 5. Listen, my beloved brothers, has not God chosen those who are poor in the world to be rich in faith and heirs of the kingdom, which he has promised to those who love him? Where, Where does this idea come from that God has chosen the poor of this world? One place James is drawing from are the words of Jesus in Luke 6, 20. And he lifted up his eyes on his disciples and said, Blessed are you who are poor, for yours is the kingdom of God. And about the rich, Jesus says in Mark 10, 25, It is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for to enter the kingdom of God. Why would God do this? Why would he choose primarily from the insignificant, the lowly, the poor, according to worldly standards? 1 Corinthians 1 gives us profound insight into the mind of God. It says, beginning in verse 26, For consider your calling, brothers. Not many of you were wise according to worldly standards. Not many were powerful. Not many were of noble birth. But God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. 
God chose what is low and despised in the world, even things that are not, to bring to nothing things that are. Why? Why does he do this? Verse 29, so that no human being might boast in the presence of God. God delights to confound the wisdom of this world. Even the word of the cross, the gospel, is foolishness to the world. But to us, it is the power of God. In his sovereign reign over all things, God has declared that this is how he will receive most glory, by choosing primarily from the poor, from the downcast, the nobodies, pouring out his grace in abundance on them so that they will be rich in faith and heirs of the kingdom. On that day, on that final day, when we stand with all the saints before the throne of God, there will not be many who were wise according to worldly standards. Not many who were powerful. Not many who were of noble birth. Instead, as far as the eye can see, there will be those who had much difficulty in this life. Those who held very little in their hands. Those who cherished the kingdom of God as far greater treasure than anything this world could offer them. God has chosen. He has richly poured out faith. He has adopted heirs of the kingdom and he has promised to fulfill it. Who are we then to make distinctions? Can you see the insult to the family of God that partiality creates? Can one adopted child say to another, you don't really belong here. But this is exactly what was happening among some of James's readers Because in verse 6, he moves from a hypothetical situation to a clear accusation of guilt by saying, but you have dishonored the poor man. This was really happening in the first century church, and it's still happening today. After nearly 2,000 years of church history, the heart of man is still the same. We are prone to self-deception and self-exaltation. Tempted to turn the church into another social club filled with people that look just like us. While I was in the States preparing to come to South Africa, my family and I were living in what many would consider not the the best neighborhood. In 12 months, we experienced drugs being sold, property theft, vandalism, identity theft. And when I called the police because two people down the street were shooting at each other, the police, officer said, the police officer said, thanks for calling. Most people don't even bother anymore. During this time, the Spirit of God was convicting, convicting me about witnessing to my next-door neighbors. I was struggling. I was really struggling. This was hard for me. But I intentionally reached out to one couple. They were poor, socially rough, and maintained a very colorful vocabulary. But I didn't care. They were made in the image of God, and I was going to love them. And each time I saw them, I did. I really did. Until the day the Spirit of God challenged me to invite them to my church so that they might taste and see the wonder of God's family here on earth and hear the preaching of God's glorious word. But in that moment, my first thought was, what if they embarrass me in front of my friends? That is partiality. 
that is making distinctions. That is what is in the heart of man. It's like I was saying, God, you don't really want them to join our family, do you? God, I'll take care of it. I'll find you some followers that would be a better fit, that will be respectable, desirable. But what does James say about those we would naturally choose? In verse 6, he says, Are not the rich the ones who oppress you? The ones who drag you into court? Are they not the ones who blaspheme the honorable name by which you were called? Jesus. That's the name they blaspheme. Jesus' readers were suffering under economic and religious persecution from those who are wealthy and powerful. At that time, wealthy merchants and landowners were seeking to rob Christians of their possessions by dragging them to court and as a pretense speaking evil of their faith in Jesus Christ. This cultural situation may be somewhat alien to us, but it reveals the deceptiveness of the heart of man. Left to our own devices, we would choose those who are poor in faith and wealthy in the things of the world, even to the point of our own hurt. In verses 8 through 13, James changes direction slightly and moves into a logical argument based on the law. His thought process may sound Jewish, but the conclusion is very much Christian as James calls us to fulfill the royal law. Let's read verses 8 through 13 together. If you really fulfill the royal law according to the scripture, you shall love your neighbor as yourself, you are doing well. But if you show partiality, you are committing sin and are convicted by the law as transgressors. Forever keeps the whole law but fails in one point has, be guilt, has become guilty of all of it. For he who said, do not commit adultery, also said, do not murder. If you do not commit adultery but do murder, you have become a transgressor of the law. So speak and so act as those who, who are to be judged under the law of liberty. For judgment is without mercy to one who has shown no mercy. Mercy triumphs over judgment. In verse 8, James again quotes from Leviticus chapter 19. But his thoughts are most likely drawn to the teaching of Jesus on this topic of loving your neighbor as yourself. We find the words of Jesus in Luke chapter 10, starting in verse 25. And behold, a lawyer stood up to put him to the test, saying, Teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? He said to him, What is written in the law? How do you read it? And he answered, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, and with all your soul, and with all your strength, and with all your mind, and your neighbor as yourself. And he said to him, You have answered correctly. Do this and you will live. But he, desiring to justify himself, said to Jesus, And who is my neighbor? Jesus replied, A man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho, and he fell among robbers, who stripped him and beat him and departed, leaving him for dead. Now by chance a priest was going down that road, and when he saw him, he passed by on the other side. So likewise a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, passed by on the other side. But a Samaritan, as he journeyed, came to where he was, and when he saw him, he had compassion. He went to him and bound up his wounds, pouring on oil and wine, 
Then he set him on his own animal and brought him to an inn and took care of him. And the next day he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper, saying, Take care of him, and whatever more you spend, I will repay you when I come back. Jesus asked, Which of these three do you think proved to be a neighbor to the man who fell among the robbers? He said, probably choking on the words, the one who showed him mercy. And Jesus said to him, you go and do likewise. The teaching of Jesus on this command to love your neighbor as yourself was revolutionary to the Jews. Up until this point, the Jews only interpreted this command to, uh, as binding among fellow Jews. But Jesus expands the definition of neighbor to anyone you might have interaction with in daily life, even an enemy. Jesus specifically used a Samaritan man in his story because Jews hated Samaritans. They were their enemies. Yet Jesus calls the Samaritan a neighbor. The teaching of Jesus on this command to love your neighbor as yourself is so revolutionary that James calls it the royal law. It is the law of our king given to us by Jesus. This royal law encompasses every other law in relation to how we interact with one another. In Romans 13, Paul says this of the royal law. Owe no one anything except to love each other, for the one who loves another has fulfilled the law. For the commandments, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not murder, you shall not steal, you shall not covet, and any other commandment are summed up in this word. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. Love does no wrong to a neighbor. Therefore, love is the fulfilling of the law. James says in verse 9 that if we show partiality, We are violating this royal law of Christ and are guilty of committing sin against our neighbors. And not just that, we are committing sin against our king. Then in verses 10 through 11, James uses a logical argument to emphasize the seriousness of violating this command. Verse 10, for whoever keeps the whole law but fails in one point has become guilty of all of it. For he who said, do not commit adultery, also said, do not murder. If you do not commit adultery, but do murder, you have become a transgressor of the law. It's very possible that James is concerned that some of his readers might shrug off his correction of their partiality, seeing it as a small matter. But in these verses, James is saying that to violate any command of God, whether small or great in our thinking, is to be a transgressor before God. To unrepentantly continue in the sin of partiality is to act in such a way that is entirely opposed to Christ. In verse 12, James sums up the matter this way. So speak and so act as those who are to be judged under the law of liberty. This idea of the law of liberty should sound familiar to us, James referenced it in chapter 1, verse 25. There we saw that the perfect law, the law of liberty, is the fulfilled law in Christ and the gospel that has set us free. It is the complete revelation of God seen through the lens of the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ's victory 
over sin and death on our behalf. And here in chapter 2, verse 12, we see James clearly stating that on that final day when Christ returns in all of his glory to judge the nations, that this law of liberty will be the standard by which all people will be judged. How did you respond to the gospel of Jesus Christ? Did you reject it wholeheartedly? Did you believe it as historically accurate, but never experience a change of heart or life? Or did you, in repentance and faith, cast yourself upon the mercy of Christ revealed in the gospel, which then led to a changed heart and life? James is calling his readers to speak and to act as those who have been changed. No longer are they dead in their trespasses and sins, but they're alive in Christ. We are a new creation designed for good works, designed to walk in newness of life. This is also a warning because if you are not speaking and acting as someone who has been changed by the gospel of Jesus Christ, then the day of judgment is a day to be feared. James continues this warning in verse 13. For judgment is without mercy to one who has shown no mercy. Mercy triumphs over judgment. The this, this sin of partiality, this making distinctions among ourselves and picking and choosing who it is we will honor based on outward appearance, James connects it to a lack of mercy. If I dishonor the poor or the uneducated, those who don't look like me or smell like me, if you heap attention on the beautiful and the powerful but reject the lowly, James says that we have failed to show mercy. Of all people, shouldn't those who claim Christ who claim to have been forgiven so much, be merciful? Our Lord Jesus Christ expressed this truth most clearly in the parable of the unmerciful servant in Matthew 18. Beginning in verse 23, Jesus' words, Therefore, the kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who wished to settle accounts with his servants. When he began to settle, one was brought to him who owed him 10,000 talents. It's a lot, more than he'd ever be able to pay in a lifetime. And since he could not pay, his master ordered him to be sold with his wife and children and all that he had and payment to be made. So the servant fell on his knees, imploring him, have patience with me and I will pay you everything. And out of pity for him, the master of that servant released him and forgave him the debt everything. But when that same servant went out, he found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred denarii. And seizing him, he began to choke him saying, pay what you owe. So his fellow servant fell down and pleaded with him, have patience with me and I will repay you. He refused and went and put him in prison until he should pay the debt. When his fellow servants saw what had taken place, they were greatly distressed. And they went and reported to their master all that had taken place. Then his master summoned him and said to him, You wicked servant. 
I forgave you all that debt because you pleaded with me. And should not you have had mercy on your fellow servant as I had mercy on you? And in anger, his master delivered him to the jailers until he should pay all his debt. Judgment without mercy on to one. Judgment is without mercy to one who has shown no mercy. Showing mercy is not what makes you a child of God. Showing mercy is not what saves you. But mercy is a driving characteristic of those who have been changed by Christ and who have the Spirit of God dwelling in in them, leading them into all righteousness. Therefore, if any one of us continue in unrepentant disdain for the lowly of this world, we are not displaying the evidence of new life in Christ. Instead, we run the risk of meeting the Lord, the righteous judge, and hearing the words, depart from me, for I never knew you. This week, as I studied these words of God, I found myself repeatedly returning to the Lord in repentance as he revealed my own heart to me. The Spirit of God is so willing to do a work in and through us that our flesh is weak. But praise be to God that he will accept the one who comes to him in humility, casting ourselves upon his mercy, asking him, to accomplish in us what we cannot on our own. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, I thank you so much for your words. Lord, sometimes your words are hard to hear. Sometimes your word pierces into a painful area of our lives, into our society, our culture, our homes, our church, whatever it might be. God, I pray that you would help us come before you in humility always. Lord, I pray that you'd help us to cut from our lives, from our hearts, from our actions, anything that is in violation of your righteous standard, of what you have said and how you look at the world. God, I pray that you will change this church, Lord, to look more like the family of God that you want it to. Lord, I pray that you would give us a love for the rich and poor, that that wouldn't be the important thing in our eyes, but instead that we would see each one as those who were created in the image of God and and those whom Jesus may have died for, someone who is in need of the gospel, of the truth. Lord, I pray that you would give us a heart that loves you above all things and that loves others. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.
at last. 